Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter and welcome to Spinning Plates, the podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years, so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing, but can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Hello, hello. How are you? It is me and it is you. I just rhymed you twice. That's lazy. Lazy songwriting. It was spontaneous. That's my excuse. How are you? Um, Where do we find ourselves? We're in July. The end of July. Uh, So summer holidays. Your kids all broken up if you have kids. Mine are all broken up now, of course, yes. Um, And I'm sure I've bored you with this already, but it's quite a big uh, year for the Jones boys. As my youngest will be starting reception in September, my 11-year-old will be starting secondary school, my 14-year-old will be starting GCSEs, and my 19-year-old is starting a foundation at art school. So some nice stuff, but just, yeah, quite a lot of newness newness creeping in so a little bit of you know trepidation brave new world but we're excited I think yes we are excited and life has been pretty good I've been very busy doing loads of festivals as usual um it's been a really lovely summer already actually and I've been traveling around a little bit and actually this weekend coming which will be in the past now that you're hearing it uh it's um is a good one for me i've got a camp festival which is really glorious and i've got um which one why not on saturday and then rock oyster on sunday and all this live music sets the scene very nicely for this episode which is a good causes special episode of spinning plates made possible by the national lottery So this is really exciting. I got to speak to a lovely woman called Sam Dab. Now, she's a manager of an independent music venue called Le Pub, which is in Newport. And if you look up uh, Newport music scene from the 90s, the picture that they use on Wikipedia is from Le Pub. So this venue has been around for a long time. Sam's been managing it for quite a while now. And it's somewhere she first went when she was uh, 17. She went back when she was 18, had a birthday party there and just completely loved it. Started working behind the bar when she was 20 and became manager um, when she was only 23. So Le Pub is a big, big part of her life and indeed her daughter's life as well. And so we spoke about what it's like to run a venue, uh, being involved in those amazing grassroots venues, which are the lifeblood of the fantastic music industry that we have here in Great Britain. Um, Without those grassroots venues, musicians like me, we do not learn what we do. We don't get our chops. They're absolutely vital. Um, Sam met a man called Mark David, who's the founder of Music Venue Trust. And now they're working together again through the National Lottery, who've helped support this amazing venture which is the united by music gig tour 2023 so this is already underway it's um loads of artists people like the blossoms and metronomy cat burns my good pal ed harcourt performing 150 gigs at 130 venues they're not performing 150 gigs each individual artist (laughs) in culmination the united by music gig tour will see 150 gigs 130 venues loads of different artists really really cool people to go and see 
Um, it's been put together by the National Lottery and every National Lottery player who buys a ticket to United Brand Music can bring a plus one for free. So this is the third year that the National Lottery's partnered with the Music Venue Trust. And I just think the work they're doing to support the grassroots music sector, it's fantastic. Now, listen, I cannot stress this enough. What the National Lottery are doing by this, um, by funding this um, United by Music tour, they are underwriting the full production and touring costs of the artists taking part. Now, to break that down, what that means is the usually when a venue, a small venue, books an act, there's risk involved. You've got to, the venue's got to be sure that they can try and sell enough tickets to support how much money they're going to pay the artist and put towards the production. Likewise, the artist, the band, they have to also contribute their for costs, you know, their, their production costs. So basically, that's why touring, especially at that level, it can be pretty hard to sustain. So this contribution to grassroots venues... It's absolutely incredible. And in total, the National Lottery's contribution to these venues through the United Brand Music Tour is one and a half million. What you're doing is vital. Honestly, this is a brilliant... I mean, they call it a good cause. Good cause, capital G, capital C, from me. It's brilliant. And I had more in common with Sam than just a love of live music. Um, she actually was in a band in the 90s, although she didn't enjoy it as much as I did, <laughs> as you will hear from her. Um, but yeah, we had a lovely, lovely chat. I think you're going to really like her. It was a complete pleasure to hang out with her. And actually really fascinating to hear from the other side of the equation. I'm very used to my side of things, pitching up, singing in these places. Um, so it's really nice to hear from Sam what it means to her to be part of a venue like the pub and be one of these incredible, vital grassroots venues and hear how the National Lottery has helped enhance the experience she has of putting on live music. We're both kindred spirits, Sam, and I. we blimmin' love it. So yes, um, over to Sam. She's going to explain everything better than I ever could. And see you on the other side. And it's really good to be back doing the podcast again. I have not one, not two, but 10 brilliant episodes all lined up for you. The usual brilliant mixture of people. Just really, really happy. You know I love what I do. It's been over three years now. This is starting to get serious, guys. Long-term relationship. Anyway, good to have you back. And if you're new to the uh, podcast family, well, welcome. Thank you for lending me your ears. And um, I'm sat here on the sofa with Titus and I'm going to go make myself a cup of tea, listen to Sam and I having a chat, and I'll, I'll see you in a minute. Sam, it's so nice to meet you. I've been really excited about meeting you because I think we're going to have lots and lots to talk about how are you today Let's start I'm there. good thanks yeah I'm cool. good um, so we can start with what's brought us together which is the National Lottery which has brought about this amazing tour United by Music so let's tell everybody what that tour is all about yeah I'm really excited for that and I, I think one of the main things people don't understand about the project is the National Lottery aren't just funding the free ticket they actually pay the artists and pay the venues which enables the venues to be putting on gigs and making money on the bar and attracting artists they wouldn't normally attract and being able to showcase how amazing their venues are mm -hmm. at no financial risk to them. Which, which is huge. I don't think, as you say, people might not understand that underwriting, yeah, underwriting the production... Yeah, entire cost is... That's, you know, that's... As a venue owner, that's way more important than the buy one, get one free. The buy one, get one free is a nice little extra for the public, mm -hmm. but for the venue owners, the underwriting of the cost yeah. is the main thing, and it's it's just incredible. Yeah, so the buy one, get one free is if you're a National Lottery player and you buy a ticket, you get to bring a plus one for free, which yep. is great. Yeah. And the actual... Um, 
tour, United by Music, is going to, uh, I think it's 130 venues up and down the UK. Yeah. And 150 gigs and loads of interesting artists from like Sam Ryder to Metronomy. Yeah. My friend Ed Harcourt, who I know that you know, but is also doing it. Um, it's going to be really special. It started now and I think it runs all the way till September. Yeah, I think it's mid-September because we've got a couple of gigs at the pub in mid-August. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm really excited for those. Yeah, you're the venue manager for Le Pub. I am, yeah. So I was, the thing about Le Pub, so I was looking it up and I felt like, I, ha- I don't think I've ever actually stepped into Le Pub, but I feel I know it because it resonated with me so hugely as some of those venues that are just the kind of, um, the bit where you really find out what kind of musician you are when you have to play those kind of venues. Yeah, there's no hiding. There's no there's hiding. There's no hiding at all. <laughs> you're right there. You're right in front of the crowd. They can hear every word. They can hear every note. Exactly. I mean, and they're lovely. Don't yeah. get me wrong, they're lovely. But yeah, it's not a place if you want to hide behind anything. So can you just sort of paint a picture for me? So if we're in Newport and we head to the pub, what's the venue like? So you walk in and... Um, We've got like a huge traditional bar area. And one of the reasons I fell in love with the building was there was already this huge, huge mahogany bar all the way down the entire one side of the building. Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful. Um, and then the venue is off to the right as you come in through the doors, uh, which is a completely separate room. And that's just kind of it's kind of your classic black box venue where you get to focus on the artist and nothing else. And how many does it hold in there, the venue? 120. Proper, so it's proper like grassroots venue, yeah. as they'd refer to it. So yeah. those kind of gigs, I don't know if you find this, but I find those kind of gigs like the most, as a performer, like the most nerve-wracking, actually, because it's so intimate and people are right there. Yeah. And everybody associates venues like that with people starting out. But actually, sometimes you have people returning. I know Tim Burgess came and did a gig. Yeah, there, Tim Burgess he? came last Back year in November. for our birthday. That was really cool. Grafreis came as well from ah. Super Furries. That was amazing. Sang happy birthday to the pub in Welsh, which is <laughs> a, a very special moment that I really enjoyed. That's so cool. Yeah, it's um, and, and yeah, both of them said that, you know, it's it's a completely different experience and one that I think... Once your career kind of progresses, you forget how nerve-wracking those experiences were and then you step back in and you're like, oh my God, they're right in front of me. Yes, and as you say, that thing of like so exposed. I mean, I think I started doing gigs when I was 16 and I sang in venues exactly like that. And for me, it wasn't so much when I was doing the singing because then I, you know, the song would start and it's like, I know what I'm supposed to do here. It was the bits in between, like if my guitarist needed to change a string or something. Yeah. Like, oh, how do you talk to people? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, how do you talk to people that are so close? <laughs> so close. And yet not actually your friends. No. And sometimes I'd be like, is my dad actually here yet? And I remember people sort of pointing at the back that he'd arrived. It was like that intimate. You can literally see yeah. every face. But at the same time, it's like, I've got such affection for all that because it sort of is your first introduction, firstly, to seeing live music. I used to go and watch absolutely tons of gigs like that. But also it sort of crystallises that your first experience of what it means to be in a band and have that proximity. So it's really exciting. I think one of the things that I really love about grassroots music venues is obviously not every band's going to go on to have a huge career Mm. but every person that's in a band that plays them will make friends that will last them forever yes like we've got we've got kids that are drinking in the pub now you know they're 18 19 
And their parents met because, you know, they were in, one was in one band and the other was in another band and they played a gig together and, you know, they, they, they fell in love, they've had a baby, that baby's now a grown-up, you know, it's a whole world of people that just love music. Yeah. And it's a way of, like, having this community that isn't necessarily built around being successful. It's exactly. great. If bands go on to be successful, that's amazing, but there's so much more to it, so many more levels. Yeah, I mean, I think what you described there is exactly that, community. And also passion and things yeah. where you care about it and you feel part of something. Yeah, it's really special. And going back to the National Lottery, so what does the funding mean to a venue like the pub, and how how might it you be using that that funding? So we've got um, two gigs. So we don't actually see the funding, which is I think a really important point. The gigs are just completely paid for, mm-hmm. and then um, our costs are covered by the Music Venue Trust via the National Lottery. So we've got um, Witch Fever, which is a band I've been chasing for ages, and I'm really really excited about. And I thought we'd missed the point at which they were small enough to play for us, and they're coming through and a band called Opus Kink which I caught at Focus Wales Festival last May and it was yeah it's just two bands that are just really exciting for us but the problem is you'd never really know what ticket sales are going to be yeah so to book those bands isn't cheap Mm. and then you've got to factor in your sound engineer your rider your show rep everything else and you Every gig you put on is a risk of losing money and grassroots music venues don't have any money. Mm. So to know that actually the tab for that show, the band, your tech, everything is all picked up by the National Lottery. It just gives you the chance to then take a chance on a different band Yeah, because you're not losing money on those shows. So maybe let's go take a risk on somebody else. And it's, yeah, it's really good. Well, I think that's what you've said is so important for people to realise because I think as a punter, you'd be thinking firstly, oh, why can't I see this band I really want to see play here? But also I think sometimes people don't quite understand the nuts and bolts of how touring works yeah. and the expense. Yeah. And as you say, the risk that the venues are taking to get people there. Yeah. And that's why the fact that people are going back to gigs and that's what's happening is such a massively important part of the lifeblood yeah. of those grassroots venues and music and the yeah. culture that we have in the UK for all of this. You know, exactly. we've, we've got such a long-standing history with live music and yeah. how important it is. And I know for both of us, it's been a really big part of yeah. probably what made us who we are now. Yeah, absolutely. It's my whole <laughs> life. I don't think I've ever done anything else. So when you say that this started in the 90s, like me and a band, right? Yeah. <laughs> Literally walked in and went, I think this is me. Really? My parents had pubs my whole life. I pulled my first pint at <gasps> four years old. Because back, um, back in the early 70s, no, late 70s, early 80s, you used to have to close on a Sunday afternoon between 2pm and 7pm, I think it was. So my parents used to pull the curtains and just carry on serving. And everybody thought it was really cute to stick the baby on a crate and get the baby to serve. And I'd get Monster Munch. That was my payment, was Monster Munch. So I've, I, love, I love pubs. I love the feeling of being in pubs. I've never known anything else. I did a stint as... Um, I tried to be a trainee journalist for about a year, didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I fell back into bar work and realised, no, this is me. I do. I absolutely love it. What's it like growing up in a pub? Um, I really enjoyed it, but I was the youngest of five. Oh, okay. So I was kind of mollycoddled by my brothers and sisters. All the punters thought I was hilarious because I was just a mouthy little four-year-old that sold them beer. You know, and it, I, I felt <laughs> I'm just really... picturing my four-year-old, who's also the youngest of five, and how he would completely milk that as well. Yeah, yeah I used to love it. I used to shout Beef Monster Munch. I used to stand on a crate and shout, who wants a beer for Beef Monster Munch? That was my other question, which flavour of Monster yeah, Munch? Beef, thank you always the beef. The ye- when they were in a big yellow packet. I'm a flaming so hot girl myself, but I take your point. Yeah. <laughs> No, so yeah, I've, I've always loved pubs. And I, I literally walked in and I was like, 
this is incredible because I think there was a band playing and yeah. I was just like, this is it, this is me. And then I spent three years begging for a job and finally got one. Wow. And so how, how hands-on are you? Are you in the public all the time when it's open pretty much? Is that how it works? Um, I'm a little bit more hands-off in the last year or two because there's just so much more going on. I'm there every day, mm-hmm. every single day. If we're open, I will pop in for at least an hour and a half to two hours, make sure everything's running okay. If there's a gig on, I'm there. But, I mean, we do open six days a week. Mm. So to go there all day, every day would just absolutely, I think I'd, I think I'd collapse. Yeah, yeah. No, I just I was, I was trying to picture because I imagine with venues like the pub, your role is kind of like the beating heart of those venues, actually, and how you run it and how it's all set up. Yeah, I think, I think people like um, Dom at the Boiler Room in Guildford and things like that, you can tell who they are mm. in their venue. Mm. And, you, you know, it, it, it is, it really is. The venue manager sets the tone for absolutely everything in the venue. Exactly. And you walk in and my venue is full of weird little knickknacks and neon signs that just scream, my house, my venue looks like my house. And, you know, that's just <laughs> the way it is. Perfect. Yeah, I love it. And um, when it comes to the the gigs, do you find you sometimes have to get involved with the setup? I'm just trying to picture, like, if that's ever something that happens. If you've been in bands and you've been in venues and round well, My pubs. husband's a sound engineer. Okay. So he is normally shouting at me to fetch something or do something. <laughs> like, he'll, I'll be sat at the bar and I'll be chatting to the bar staff and making sure everything's running. And then I'll suddenly get, like, a text that says, get me this. So I'll have to run down because we've got a recording studio in the basement. Mm. So I'll have to run down and grab a cable and bring it up to him and things. But other than that, no. I mean, we've got a little show rep. Little show rep. That's quite patronising. I don't know why it came out like that. (laughs) We've got a show rep who's amazing. And she runs everything absolutely incredibly smoothly. Bands turn up. She welcomes them. She feeds them. She sorts everything out for them. And... Yeah, it's, um, I'm actually at a weird point where I don't really know what my job is anymore. I know I still work 60 hours a week, but I couldn't for the life of you tell me what I do. <laughs> I don't have a clue anymore. Well, I guess that's what happens when things sort of grow outside of it. And presumably as well, you've become someone that other people come to speak to about how to make a success of a venue. Yeah, I'm a guru for Music Venue Trust. Uh, they gave me a fancy title. I think it's Profitability and Sustainability Guru. But I think... People that run grassroots music venues, they do it for love and they do it for passion. And a lot of them forget they have to make money too. Yeah. And it's it's really easy to get like caught up in these incredible bands that you're booking and this incredible music. And then all of a sudden you realise you haven't made enough money to pay this bill. Mm. And that, that comes down ultimately to funding from the government and there should be more funding from the government for grassroots music venues. And I think the Pipeline Investment Fund that Music Venue Trust are trying to set up with um, arena tickets, mm-hmm. they want a pound for every added to every arena ticket to be filtered down to a grassroots music venue in that area. God, that's brilliant. Yeah, because, you know, if I'm paying, I don't even know what the prices are, but if I'm paying £250 to see Taylor Swift, yeah. it's not going to bother me to pay £251 to see Taylor Swift, yeah. but that would make a huge difference to Fuel and the Moon in Cardiff which are two yeah. streets away from the stadium she's playing at and struggling like all grassroots music venues are. Yeah. So I think <clears throat> my job is to just go around and say, like, if you put 50p on that, yeah, that would make you a lot more money. Or have you thought about trying this? And I, I'm really enjoying that aspect of it. Well, I think that's all brilliant. And I think also people would, they would appreciate when they get to the point where we can be so proud of the music scene that we are, you know, that's sustaining. I think they have to understand that for... I can't think of any artist that I follow that wouldn't say that the, the grassroots venues they played 
was so fundamental to everything they do. So if you yeah. don't if you don't put it there, you don't get yeah. the bit at the end where you go to the yeah. stadium and see the big yeah. the big I act. Think, um, Something that Mark from Music Venue Trust said to me years ago, which really stuck, was um, we're going to end up with the same three bands headlining every single festival for the next 30 years, and one day even the Rolling Stones will die. You know, because we're not, we're not investing in the grassroots music venues, and therefore we're not investing in grassroots talent. Mm. And the way that the cost of living crisis and the way that the economy of the country has gone... Yeah. Grassroots music venues were hanging in there. They're not hanging in there anymore. Yeah, we've also they're in real, real trouble. COVID now. as well, of course. Yeah. Like massive. Yeah. COVID issue. was absolutely horrendous. Trying to recover from COVID is horrendous, and I think it's just, yeah, it's just really, really difficult for grassroots yeah. music venues at the moment to try and make ends meet. And have you done stuff before with National Lottery and the and the players' funding? Yeah, so we did um, this very similar scheme uh, was called Revive Live for the last two years because mm-hmm. it was about reviving the live music scene after COVID. So we did quite a few gigs with them for that as well. Yeah, okay. That's, that's, it's so good that they've got all these good causes and it seems that it's actually, I love the, the emphasis on the arts. Obviously, yeah. that, that really yeah. resonates with me. Um, <clears throat> and I, we haven't even mentioned yet your daughter. So you have a, 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 we were talking just before we started recording, your daughter's now 27. Yeah, coming so, at 27 in two Three weeks, I think, yeah. Wow. It's like, <laughs> I didn't, because you look so young to have a daughter that's like such a proper <laughs> adult, but you had her really young. So what was going on in your life when you had your first baby? Yeah, so I was 19 when I got pregnant. Um, instantly, absolutely excited. Didn't, do you know, I'm going to be completely honest, it wasn't a decision that I set out to make, but I was so excited instantly and I knew, I was like, this is, this is incredible, I'm going to be a mum. Yeah, so, yeah, I just, um, yeah, just 19 years old. Just I was in a band at the time, uh, left the band to have a baby because it just wasn't, wasn't a healthy lifestyle to be living while pregnant. And, yeah, became a mum at 19. So when you were focusing on your involvement with Le Pub, how was that working with having a really small child? Do you know, it actually worked really well because um, I didn't go back to work until she was two and a half by which point she'd started nursery. And it kind of fit really well because I'd take her to nursery, I'd go home and I'd nap for a few hours. I'd pick her up from nursery, I'd spend the afternoon with her, I'd give her tea, I'd put her to bed, and then her dad would come round and I'd go to work. And then when she woke up in the morning, she barely even noticed I was gone for half of the time because it was just, you know, she was in bed. And it, was, it worked really well. And then my mum and uh, my ex's parents were also really supportive and they had her on Saturdays. So, you know, we both still got to have a nice time as well as be parents. Mm. I always used to say that um, I was single and a mother, but I was not a single mother because her dad was 100% in her life and always there, So which was really nice. Yeah, well, I think that support that is so important, especially, as you're saying, if you're trying to keep this real consistency and continuity yeah. in her life but also build something for yourself and yeah. ultimately for her as yeah. well and so did it feel quite funny to sort of have this sick circular thing of ha- having her have a similar childhood in venues and did she pull pints at four no she did not pull <laughs> pints at four <laughs> not even we, for monster munch no not even for monster munch <laughs> we did end up in a and e once though <clears throat> at half nine in the morning because we went into the pub just to grab something and she managed to slip and she got a big piece of glass stuck in her leg, as kids do. Ooh. So I rushed her off to A&E, and she said, we did it in the pub! 
and the doctor just stared at me and I was like, oh, I work there. I wasn't in the pub at half nine with my three-year-old. I'm so sorry. Oh, God. And she was like, Mummy takes me to the pub some mornings. And I was like, well, not to drink, not to drink. Yeah, it was, it was quite funny. Well, I guess as well, you've got a venue that's not like hard if, you, if it was called something else. You know? Yeah, yeah the, pub. <laughs> the fantasy garden. I don't know, <laughs> somewhere else. It's definitely the pub. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, that was uh, that was fun. Oh, but I suppose for her, she's got it in her genes, yeah. like you did, that thing of the community and being yeah. around people. I think she couldn't care less about the beer and the serving beer aspect, whereas I love that. <laughs> she loves the live music. She's got that from me. She really, really, she, she's, if she's not at a gig, she's playing a gig. Yeah, because you said she's a bass player. She is, yeah. She's very cool. In two bands, did you say? Yeah, two bands. Yeah, Excellent. Um, yeah, the... Both doing really well, actually. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, it's really cute. And do you keep up your music at all after you no. stop being a band? So 19 no. was when it stopped, was it, for that? So, um, actually, there's a nightclub in Newport. It's closed now, TJ's. I'm sure everybody's heard of the legendary TJ's. When John from TJ sadly passed away, we did... Um, a big festival in his honour in Newport City Centre and a load of the bands that were signed to TJ's records, including my own, Reformed. And we did two gigs and I hated every second of it. Really? Well, I think it didn't help that the songs were written when I was 16 and they were about kissing boys in parks and <laughs> drinking cider and... Rhyming things with GCSEs. Yeah. <laughs> so I think standing on a stage at 34 and singing that was weird. <laughs> but yeah, I, I absolutely hated it. We did the 100 Club in London and someone came along and did a review and they were a big fan of what we were doing in the 90s. And I think the review said something along the lines of, I don't know what happened to Samba. She looks like the ground wants to swap, wants to, she wants the ground to swallow her up and eat her. And as I read it, I was like, yeah, he's right. I hated it. Absolutely hated it. Wow. It's really odd because when I left when I was pregnant, I had every intention of going back because I thought I loved it. And I did love it. But yeah, going back to it, no. I hated it. Wow, that must have been excruciating. You stood up there like, you get excited, you walk on, you oh, it's this again. I've just yeah. remembered I really don't enjoy this, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was very strange. And you have one of those things sometimes, don't you, where you're in the middle of doing it, so you would be in the middle of singing a song and you're thinking, yeah, this is definitely not something I'm ever going to well, do we, again. We had two singers, <laughs> and Emily, the other singer, she fully embraced getting back into it. Mm. And I remember looking over at the stage and she's jumping around and she's singing and she's having the time of her life. And I'm just stood there holding the microphone, desperately trying to get through it, thinking, no, 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 no. Yeah, I know. So, uh, that was done for me. Well, I think there is a sort of um, misapprehension that people who perform, who then stop performing, are always sort of desperate to get back into it. But actually, there's a lot about it that I think if you don't love it, you just yep. leave it behind, you know. You've... I also used to get so nervous I'd throw up for the entire day before a gig. Oh, you don't want that. Yeah, the, like uh, literally the day before the gig, I'd start feeling sick. The afternoon before the gig, I'd start being sick. And I mean, in the 90s, the second I stepped on the stage, it was gone. I was having the best time of my life. Yeah. But then when I was older, that, that sick feeling in my stomach was still there. And I was like, yeah, this is not for me. It's funny, isn't it? The idea of the, the nerves and the adrenaline. It just, it, sometimes as well, it can get worse and worse. It can yeah. kind of build that feeling. But in a way, it's quite nice that you got to sort of finish the conversation with yourself and do yeah. these gigs and go, yeah, no, I was right. This is yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's back to managing it's the weird, venue. I don't get nervous about public speaking. I'll happily, I do panels at like um, music conferences and things. Mm. Absolutely fine speaking. I'll sit there and speak for hours. You can't shut me up. But singing, no, done. Absolutely yeah, yeah. not. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I completely understand that, and I think it's as I say, it's good you got to finish. Was your daughter there when you did your gig? She was, yeah. Was she like, oh, mum? <laughs> yeah, I think my sister you brought her, hug? and I, I'm, I'm, I'm catching her eye, and it's just looking at me like, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> so embarrassing. All my friends from school are here because it was in the centre of Newport on an outdoor stage, big yeah. free festival. So yeah, all those school friends were there. Like, that's your mum. <laughs> but we were talking um, again before we started recording. But I was saying that I think having the, when a, as a child, when a lot of your friends maybe before they'd had a kid, means you've almost got like the communal child. I bet your daughter's got relationships with lots of your friends. Yeah, which th- I think. Sometimes when you have children later on and your friends are all having them, it's nice for you because you've got the camaraderie of your friends going through the same thing. But then your kids don't necessarily get that time as, yeah. as individuals in yeah, the same they way. Yeah, they don't get spoiled as the only child of the group. Yes, there's the spoiling aspect, but also I suppose you get you get privy to a lot of like adult conversation, I think, when you're the, yeah. the eldest yeah. or the, you know, the only one. Yeah. And you have to sit at the table and you have to sort of pull your weight a little bit. Yeah. With that, that was my childhood as well, actually. I think um, I think it's quite funny that my daughter definitely grew up in a very adult environment, and she grew up very sensible. Mm. And I think sometimes we protect kids too much because mm. my daughter grew up around people drinking, smoking, swearing because that was the world she was in. Mm. You know, when she was fifteen, people would swear around her freely and things like that. And then she didn't start drinking until she was nineteen. She didn't swear very much at all. She still doesn't yeah. swear that much. You know, I think sometimes we can protect children too much and then when they hit 18, they've never experienced these things and they go out into the world and it's too much for them and they yeah. they go too far because they've never actually seen anybody, you know, exercise restraint around alcohol and things like that. And it's it's really interesting to watch. I can always tell in the pub the kids whose parents brought them up responsibly around alcohol and the kids that have parents that try and pretend alcohol doesn't exist. And the kids that try and pretend alcohol, those parents try and pretend alcohol doesn't exist, they get too drunk. They don't know, they don't understand. So I think, yeah, bringing up kids in an adult environment can actually be really, really useful for them. I think there's so much wisdom in that, actually. I think that's super smart. And I think you're right, because I think, as you say, that sort of morally coddled protection. Like, it's also about, like... um, you know, letting them meet people who've got different views, letting them yep. manage all these situations where you've got to just just not kind of jump into extreme one way or the other and just rub alongside people and manage. And I suppose it also goes back to what you were saying a little bit about with venues um, where it's the passion is what leads it, but you've also got to be able to run, run what's a going business. On, run a business. Yep. And I think, it, you know, art and commerce have always been slightly uneasy bedfellows because you feel like, well, I want to float up here, but something needs to tether it. Yeah. But yep. when it actually works hand in hand, actually you can get things to really yeah. be solid and the foundations work. Yeah. And I guess you don't get to be profitability guru if you don't start to manage. <laughs> fantasy, fantasy title. It's a brilliant title. Yeah. You should definitely have T-shirt or some yeah, sort of should. tabard. Or, it, yeah, some kind of, I think a badge and a cap. Definitely. If yeah. I was any kind of guru, I would definitely be telling people <laughs> yeah, about it. quite fun. <laughs> Going back to ex- like exposing children to other views, I dragged my daughter into a refugee camp when she was 14. And we went once a month for two years. And she, we, we used to go over to the jungle in Calais once a month. And she is the most open, accepting, wonderful person because of the experiences she had. And I think that was something working in the pub also gave me the freedom to do. Yeah. Because it's such an unstructured way of living. Yeah. That I was able to go, right, we're closed Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. We've got no gigs. 
getting the van were off and we'd just go over to the jungle and just and you know and she'd be there and she'd be in the warehouse and she'd I found she was about 15 and I found her asleep in a pile of sleeping bags she was supposed to be sorting and I was like wake up get up <laughs> you know and those that's just those experiences that we can give our children I think they're really important as well just to expose incredible. them to the world that's so amazing and you were doing it with such regularity as well it's not like you just went one time and said see this is what some people are experiencing yeah no actually... we did it we did it once a month for two years <laughs> wow yeah that's amazing. And just the two of you travelling there and back as well? No, it was um, us two, my husband, and okay. we'd, we'd wrote random staff in. Oh, amazing. I'd be like, what are you doing this weekend? Nothing. Want to come to Calais? Yeah, all right then. And we'd just, because we had this great big blue minibus, yeah. and we'd just fill it up with sleeping bags, and then we'd just get an Airbnb in Calais, fill the van with as many volunteers as we can, rock up at the warehouse, get a load of work done and go home again, and I loved it. I think that's so brilliant, Sam. And what a fantastic thing as well that you're sort of lifting... A story off the newspaper and actually let's actually go and be part yep. of this let's go and not only just see what's going on but also engage and do something and work there i yeah. mean that's amazing plus you get all that time traveling there and back where you're presumably chatting about stuff and all the yep. conversations and long road trips especially when they're teenagers so that's yep. a bit sort of 14 to 16 or 15 17 you can get them yes you're both staring out the front yep. but the conversation's quite yep. free-flowing it's quite non-judgmental isn't yep. it Especially with other people in the car as well, kind yep. of opens it up. Yep. God, I think that's brilliant. I'd like to do something like that with my kids, actually. I think that's an amazing thing to do. Um, Take them over. There's still a camp in Dunkirk. Just turn up. <laughs> and how easy is it to sort of set up, actually just heading there and turning up? And I mean, I could put you in touch with a charity that run a warehouse in Dunkirk really easily because we still support them. We do Green Man Festival every year mm. and we do um, salvage and we take tents and sleeping bags over to Dunkirk once a year now. Incredible. Yeah, it's charity, okay. charity yeah. called Roots. Yeah, just, just head on over. Let's continue that conversation after this one because I think that I'll could come be. With really... you. I'm desperate to get yeah? we'll go together. Okay. <laughs> well, because the other place I was thinking we could go together is to one of the gigs that's on the United by Music Tour. Yeah. Because there's so many good things <laughs> happening. Yeah. So I was thinking if one of us is the uh, national lottery player with the ticket, the other one could be the plus one. Yeah. I can bring the Monster Munch. Yeah. I'll make sure there's both flavours. I'll bring the pints. <laughs> Girl cooks. Yes, that's probably more important than Monster Munch. Um, what gigs are you... I know you said about the band you've got coming to your venue, but are there any other things you would be up for seeing? Oh, I have, I'd really love to see Sam Ryder. Yeah, that's really cool. It's not going to happen. It's fully sold out. And even as a guru, we don't get any special treatment. <laughs> but yeah, I think that would be really, really interesting. Because yeah. obviously... I, I did no idea, never heard of Sam Ryder until the Eurovision, so mm. never had a chance to see Sam in a small venue before. Yeah. So I think seeing him in Chinneries is going to be really, really special. Yeah, I think those venues are really special. When you do those gigs, I mean, I the other day, so I did a gig where I played at um, Glastonbury, so you've gone the pyramid stage, huge, and then the, ne the next day was there, and then the next day I did a gig in a little venue, it was about 300 people, and I think it's really good for keeping you quite sharp, actually, because... You're not, there's no, nothing to hide behind. There's no production. So really it just strips everything back and you really hear the songs. Yep. You know, it's really good for exposing your voice. But also you can see everybody's faces when you're yep. in the crowd, you know, and ditto when you're the one watching. Yeah. You feel like, oh, wow, we're actually all part of something. Yeah. And it's, it's like a chemical thing, isn't it? It's like yeah. being on a date with someone or something. You've got this kind of like yeah. the real symbiosis of between the two of you. The only bad thing is if it's going wrong... <laughs> you can't pull it back from a small space it's very I've seen bands do it yeah but it's very difficult once you've once you've lost an audience in a small space yeah 
it's so difficult to get them back. Oh, yeah, that's true. I or I guess with comedy as well. Because you do comedy nights. We do well. comedy, yeah. yeah. Comedies, I... I don't like comedy events. Really? I get too nervous for the performer because they're so... <laughs> Exposed. They're so, they're, it feels like they're almost naked. They don't, have, they don't even have a guitar. No. It's just them and the guts that takes I just know. to stand up and tell stories. Like, one of my best friend's husbands is a comedian and he's a brilliant comedian. I can't watch. I'm just like, no, what are you doing? What are you doing up there on your own? I'm terrified for you. And it's... Yeah, I don't like it. Yeah, I think um, I've had it where um, where I'm watching someone do comedy and I feel like if I make eye contact with them, I might body swap and then I find I have to finish yeah. their set. <laughs> and I start, I take it to such an extreme that I usually try and prepare some very light material that I might be able to start you're with. you're just terrified they're going to pick on you. <laughs> I think part of it is not wanting to be picked on yeah. by them. You know, because they do, com- comedians do pick people out. And part of it is absolute fear for them. I just, it's, it's, I think it's one of it, for me, it has to be one of the bravest art forms. You've got nothing to hide behind. You've got, at any point, it can just go off schedule. It can go, you know, off script. You have no clue what someone in the audience is going to do or say, and you have to react. So true. At least as a musician, you can kind of ignore that because that's not your job. But I guess if you're a comedian, then that's, that is what you thrive on. You're yeah. thinking, I've yeah. got what I need and I'm going to... Yeah. And to be fair to them, with your anxiety about watching them, I think it's their job to reassure you that they're yeah. okay. Yeah. We had, <laughs> Maybe um, you need to watch some com- comics who make you feel like they're fine. We had um, Mike Wozniak come and do a set. Oh, yeah. And that was... Um, he did this incredible story, like a, a style of comedy that's like an hour-long story, one long story, and it was incredible. And I really enjoyed it, but I still had this deep-seated... Is he going to start picking on me? At the back of my mind. I've had it happen, actually. I've had that where I've walked in at Edinburgh Festival and just had it all go wrong with, yeah, picking on me. It's a horrible feeling. You feel very tiny. And also, you don't have a microphone, so it's actually kind of slightly unfair. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) If you're going to pick on me, at least let me come back at you at the same volume. Yes, exactly. Well, to bring it back to the good causes in National History, I think we should probably reiterate why, what is happening with the National History funding such an amazing thing like this tour why it's so brilliant that these grassroots venues are benefiting. Um, I just could go on for five hours about how incredible the Music Venue Trust is and the work that they do and the work that they've done for the last nine years. They're, they basically... Um, I think grassroots music venues, pre-Music Venue Trust, we all thought we were out there alone and everyone puts their best side on social media. So... I was sat in Newport wondering why I was struggling to make things work, watching venues in Southampton. And to the outside, it looked like they were doing incredibly well. So you sat there and you're thinking, I'm doing something wrong. And then Music Venue Trust put us all into a network where we communicate and we talk and we share resources and we share experiences. And um, we figured out that actually, no, it's the way that grassroots music venues as a sector are treated that's the problem. Mm. Because across Europe, grassroots music venues are hugely funded and subsidised by the government. And there's no funding or subsidy in the UK. Um, you know, it's just little things like that. And there's no there's no respect from the big arenas. I mean, if you take Adele, for example... Mm. I don't want to even guess how much money Adele has made. Yeah, other what's people. generated. Yeah, yeah, what's generated. But the venue in Cardiff that Adele played on her first tour closed because they were short £4,000 for their business rates and they had to declare bankruptcy. 
goodness. And it's it's things like that and the fact that that sector is now by the National Lottery and their players being recognised and funded, Yeah, that's what's really important. And mm-hmm. that is, it's the first step towards the respect that the grassroots music venues in the UK deserve be yeah. actually being delivered. Well, what you said about how it works in a lot of Europe compared to here yeah. is... You know, you said little things like that. That's actually huge, isn't it? It's massive. It's so huge. And I think if we could shift the conversation a little bit about how people regard the venues and what's actually going on behind the scenes, it would be, I think people would actually be really keen to keep supporting because it's a lovely thing to be part of, but it also does, it needs more than goodwill. Yeah, it needs money. (laughs) Yes, it needs needs money. money. And I think another thing Music Venue Trust did so well is. Pre-Music Venue Trust, the grassroots music sector was known as the toilet circuit. Yes. Because the venues were considered to be dirty. I remember that. And it's it's awful. These these venues are run by people that love music and love their venues and treat them well. Yeah. It's it's the fault of the system that they might not be flash and fancy and all shiny. Yeah. You know, they're they're not dirty, they're not smelly, they're they're just a little bit run down because we don't have the same money. No, you're right, that's such snobbery actually. Yeah. You're and right. I remember that when I started, it'd be like ordering a toilet tour. Yeah. I was like, what's that? Yeah. And then um, Mark from Music Venue Trust, that, that was his first main thing, was we are getting rid of that. And they've done that, and it's incredible. And we are now a sector that is slowly gaining respect year on year on year. God, I, I actually completely forgot about that until you mentioned yeah, it. Yeah, it's that awful, isn't it? That was absolutely how I got introduced to it in the 90s. Yeah, it's awful, isn't it? I mean, it's all right. The um, the Forum in Tunbridge Wells did used to be a toilet. <laughs> but it's not a toilet anymore, so it's still not okay to call it a toilet now. But, yeah, it's just it's just so no, strange. I mean, it's the association. Yeah, it's It's, it's an, in, an inbuilt kind of a, we'll get through this bit so we can get to the next bit. Yeah. Whereas, actually, what actually happens, and actually, you know, as I said at the beginning, my friend Ed Harcourt, who's doing this tour... He said, you know, these are the the gigs that actually become really special. And he said he has countless nights he can't remember and memories he'll never forget. Yeah. And I think that's actually what it's all about. It's like this thing of going somewhere where it's really special and you do have to work that bit harder. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it always feels good, actually, when you get to either watch someone in those venues or you get to perform there, no matter what stage <clears> of your career you're I at. Think, I think artists pick up skills in grassroots music venues. Yes, definitely. That they wouldn't be able to play arenas without. Yes. If you didn't have a grassroots music venue to learn your trade in, Mm. you know, it's like, I don't know, I guess it's like sending a plumber into a huge, massive plumbing issue and saying, fix it. Yeah. Without any training, without any college, without any, you know, any input from anyone around them. Yeah. These... These grassroots music venues, they are training circuits. Yeah. And yeah. there are people in them that have been doing it, like myself, for 30 years. Yeah. And, you know, we can, we can help. We can give you tips. We can, we can reassure you that you've done well. We can, you know... And that's, that's a really important experience that every artist, when they're starting out, needs. They need, yeah. they need to play these venues. They need to learn from these venues. And they need to have the people in these venues. Like my husband, he's our sound engineer, as I said, and... You know, he'll be working with kids that are 16, 17. They, don't, they barely even know how to plug their guitars in. Yeah. You know, if they don't come to La Pub and have Matt, just, just show them quite, quite, that goes in there, mate, you know. And that's learning. It's not patronising. It's not, they're kids. They need to learn yeah, these things. Absolutely. And it's training and it's... And it's mentoring as well. Yeah, it's mentoring. And it's, it's training that's completely unfunded by the government. Yes. <laughs> Which is where we need to get back into funding the venues, please. And how do your folks and your family feel about what you do, seeing as you started off so little with the 
Um, Point pulling. Yeah, my mum's quite proud. <laughs> she's um, she's always on my Facebook. She's um, she's seventy eight now, and I'll post a gig and she'll be like, "Can I come?" And I'm like, "It's not really for you, mum. <laughs> it's not really for you. It's not one for you. You know, you don't really want to come and see a death metal band. <laughs> maybe she does. Yeah, maybe she does. <laughs> yeah. And what about if your daughter had thought about doing the same thing? Would it be something you would? If someone was thinking now about managing a venue or getting involved with it, would you? Recommend I it. would make sure they don't want to make money. Okay. Don't do it to Sounds make like money. Sounds like being a musician as well. <laughs> yeah, don't do it to make money. If you want to make money, do not run a grassroots music venue. If you want to have the most incredible life and the most incredible experiences and make the most incredible friends, then yes, go run a grassroots music venue. But if you want to be rich, don't. Well, I'd always pick the other one anyway. I think it's that's a life well lived, you know, yeah. being part of something. I, I wouldn't change a thing. Also, it's such a legacy, you know. There'll be so many bands, artists, punters, part of that community who would say they owe so much to it. Grassroots Music Venue support bands in other ways just than being a stage. Two of our staff are actually in bands supporting the Foo Fighters on their next tour next year. Oh, wow. Because working in a grassroots music venue gives them the flexibility to say, I can't work this three weeks, I'm off on tour. Yeah. You know, and that's another way that... Every, the grassroots music venues support the industry and needs to be recognised. Yeah. Oh, well, I think that's all the good stuff, actually. I bet you're brilliant with your guruing, if it's a <laughs> verb like that. I do love it. <laughs> yeah, because I think it's so... A lot of it as well about venues like yours is the generosity of people with experience and wanting to share it with others and actually help them and avoid, yeah. avoid pitfalls. It's all about actually, like... We, if you succeed, we all succeed. You know, it kind of and it reflects areas. It's about literally places you pass on the high street or down a back alley. It's actually part of like the whole scene. Like that's where your yeah. youth culture is, isn't it? Yeah. That's like the next thing. And if you don't show young kids who are interested in music that it's something that resonates with you, then they just you just lose their interest. You know, they yeah. Need to we feel... we partner with Newport City Council a couple of times a year and do outdoor events. Mm. And they're always free. We always just chuck a stage in the middle of the city. And one of my favourite ones was um, we put on a bluegrass band from Oregon. And they had a double bass player. And we just chucked them in the middle of the city square. And there were like 30, 40 kids. And they were all just stood around going, what is that, mate? What is that, mate? And Jesse was like, oh, look, it's a double bass. And they were like, whoa, mate. And I was like, this is really, you know, we've really showed people that there are other instruments than guitars, which yeah. I think is really important because it's really... I mean, I, I love artists like Tom Grennan and Sam Fender and things, and they all came up for the grassroots circuit, which is great. But there are other instruments, and there are other things that people can do, and I, I think showcasing those is just as important. Yeah, yeah, and actually for kids being exposed to seeing people play really well, as you say, other instruments is like... They get a bit mesmerised, don't yeah. they? They just stop in their tracks like, wow, what's going on there? Yeah. That's the beauty of music. Yeah. We're so lucky, aren't we, to be surrounded by something yeah. that's got that life force. That pull. That, yes, and that pulse. And are there any things you're looking forward to this year, any gigs that you're hoping to go to outside of the ones of your... I'm going to Green Man Festival. Ah, cool. I love Green Man Festival. We do the salvage, but that's only on the Monday. We generally just sit around and... Um, we sell T-shirts and vintage to raise money for a couple of refugee charities, but it's mostly just sitting around and watching bands. And yeah, I'm really excited. Sounds I'm excited great. to see Spiritualized. I haven't seen oh, them since yes. the 90s. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, there's a bit of a 90s revival at the moment. Yeah. I went to see Pulp the other day. I'm going to see, going to see Pulp tomorrow. Tonight. Oh, yeah, tonight in Cardiff. Oh, you're going to love it. <laughs> yeah. So good. Well, you know, there's still time for that revival of yeah. uh, disco if you're ever. <laughs> no, I'm done. Done. Absolutely done. But no, Bob Villain is playing Green Man. 
Oh, and Bob God. Villain did the National Lottery Revive Live tour two years ago. So I think this this whole thing, it benefits artists as well. Yeah. Because it, they get to tour without them worrying about the cost of fuel and the cost of van hire and everything else. So it's not just venues that's benefiting, it's artists too. Yeah. It's building careers. I know Nova Twins came up on the Revive Live tour as well, you know, and it's it's really important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And as you say, like that underwriting is... It's, like, it's actually really hard to articulate how significant that is. Yeah. Because people can get frustrated. Oh, why isn't my artist touring? But, you know, there is a bottom line to all of it. Yeah. And so many tours run at a loss. So the fact that this is something that yeah. is not, that's something that's take, that pressure's taken away. Yeah. I think people don't realise that the artists that they respect at a level that they think are earning, they're not earning. No. You know, we, there are artists that <clears throat> they're playing 500 capacity venues. Yeah they're still doing shifts in the pub when they're not Absolutely. touring. And people don't understand that. I think people don't understand that there isn't any money or financial security in music until you hit a much bigger audience than people assume, you know, that's where the money starts. I don't know. That didn't really come out right. But, you know, people think artists no, are no, earning right. money when they're not. They're just not. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think... Um well, I would say a very big thank you to all the National Lottery players for what they're doing for the United yeah, Bunnies. I think it's wonderful, and I'm all for it, and I'm thrilled to speak to you, and I'd love to come and play your venue one time. We'd love really to have fun. you. Yeah? Cool. You should come for Newport Pride. We've got Newport Pride in September. Come well, on. You did Cardiff Pride, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. come to Newport Pride. It'd okay. Fun. <laughs> you <laughs> supply you the... the pub and not tell anyone. <laughs> Excellent. Secret show. <laughs> Yay, what a great woman. Thank you so much, Sam. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Um, And as I said, it's really nice to hear the other side of the coin, really, and what it's like to run a venue. And I loved her advice to other people thinking of running a venue or just how to be um, clever with making it work. Uh, Obviously, you know, you always need the passion, but you also need the business now. And it is no small feat that the pub is going as strong as it is for as long as it has. That's kudos to you, Sam. Kudos. And I want to thank the National Lottery for making this episode happen. It's thanks to you, you brought Sam and I together. So just remember, every time you play the National Lottery on app or in store, you actually get more from your ticket, whether that's supporting good causes all over the UK or, you know, brilliant offers like the United by Music Tour. You can bring a plus one, you know, for free to one of the many, many gigs all over the country from now until September. If you're looking for someone, I'd love to come with you. Just visit unitedbymusic.live. You can find out more. It's just amazing what the National Lottery does for people. And it's been a complete pleasure to explore all that's happening this summer. And just... Cheers to live music and grassroots venues. Cheers to Sam. Cheers to you for listening. Um, cheers to Ella May for doing my artwork, Richard for doing my editing, Claire Jones for doing the production. But, you know, mainly you. If it, it doesn't work without that, I'm talking to a void. So, yes, I'll see you next week for more fun. Lots of love. See you soon. Bye.